Tangier Island has been shrinking for centuries, battered by the bay's relentless waves. The Army Corps of Engineers says it would be cheaper simply to move everyone to the mainland. Two towns on opposite coasts of America are facing similar issues. They are eroding and sinking. Rising seas could threaten hundreds of millions of people worldwide, including in a small Alaskan village. We're talking about an entire village that's not just moving, but the village as we know it now will cease to exist. Today, we'll take you to a seafaring community off the coast of Virginia, where residents are holding on to seawalls to keep the land below their feet. And then to a town in Alaska, where the native Yupik people are slowly moving displaced families one by one to higher, more solid ground. Neither community denies the effects that the changing climate is having on their vanishing shores. But the political nature of it is determining how they each see what's happening to them. What if by the time you see it with your own eyes, it's too late? Uh, then that, that won't be good. And uh, I'm sure that's what I'll be remembered for, uh, that, you know, I didn't go along with it. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Al Jazeera's Heidi Jo Castro was in both places, and she's going to take us through her reporting, looking first at Tangier Island, Virginia. Heidi, did you know that so close to where we are now, Washington, D.C., that there was a community facing the possibility of becoming climate change refugees? No, I had no idea, especially because when you think of the East Coast, you think it's so urban, it's so developed. But here, literally just a few hours from our nation's capital, is one of the many ground zeros that we are all realizing that exist. So how does one get to Tangier Island, Virginia? So to get to Tangier Island, you have to take a boat. This is a tiny speck right smack dab in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. So we chartered a boat that was like a 20-minute boat ride, I would say, from the nearest city on the shores of the Chesapeake Bay. And the people there are very proud of their history. They've been so isolated that even through these centuries, They've retained this very unique accent that I have heard nowhere else in the United States. And what is your name? Wayne Parks. Can you spell that for us? W-A-Y-N-E-P-A-R-K-S. We talk funny here, don't we? I love it. <laughs> the, the people there have always fished for their substance. Um, so the, they're called watermen and they go back generations. They call it Tangier Island, but... It looks like many islands instead of one when you look at it on Google Maps. Can you describe what the landscape looks like? So the funny thing is they are many islands now. But if you just go back a few decades, there were fewer islands because they used to be attached to one another. But of course, because the land's sinking and the oceans are rising, the water in the Chesapeake Bay are rising as well. And so thus you have these smaller islands. But when you go on, you can see that it's very flat. And in fact, uh, we were on a boat with the mayor of Tangier Island, who was very kind and showed us around the area and took us on his boat to nearby places that used to be islands as well, but are now completely underwater. It's hard to imagine that where we are now, there was actually a thriving community at one time with crabbers and fishermen here and children playing, and, and now it's all underwater. You can't even see the evidence that humans have lived there because it's all now underwater. So what does Mayor James Eskridge think about this phenomenon? 
I feel like the mayor of this town has gotten a little bit of a bad rep in the media because people claim that he's a climate change denier, that he basically has evidence at his feet that his community is going underwater and he, for some reason, doesn't believe it. That's not exactly accurate. He sees that his town and his community of 700, he sees that they are in danger and he sees that their life as currently exists cannot continue unless there's something done about it, right? It's the cause that he really disagrees with the rest of the scientific community. So when you ask him, he says that, yes, it's obvious that there's erosion. We're losing parts of the island. We're losing like probably 15 to 20 feet of shoreline a year. So what is causing this erosion? It, it's constant wave action. Our shoreline is just a soft sod material and it's just getting chewed up by the constant wave action. So he's not saying that these phenomenons are not happening. He does say, though, is that he doesn't think humans are causing this, and thus he doesn't think that humans limiting carbon emissions will do anything to stop it. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and I, I know global warming and sea level rise is the you know topic today, but uh, to me it's not a political issue. The island disappearing and uh, the sea level rise debate and climate change it's uh you know of course there's serious things and uh we're, we're dealing with it from a point that it, it, it's our survival but a lot of folks that do come out here it's a it's a political issue to them you know and uh to me it's it's not political at all so what is he grappling with well i think you have to first look at where they start out this community politically they're very right the debate has drawn national attention, largely because 87% of the island's voters went for President Trump, a climate change skeptic. That's one of the reddest precincts you get anywhere in the country. The mayor, Mayor Eskridge, I, he had this call from the president out of the blue, really. He wasn't soliciting this. Um, and he still takes it as a point of pride. Tangier Island in the Chesapeake Bay has received a lot of national attention lately, including a call from President Trump. Trump called the mayor of Tangier and told him not to worry about his rapidly disappearing island. So there's that confirmation bias where I, I think he feels that he certainly was surprised to receive the president's call and to receive some attention. And he said that on this phone call, the two of them found some common ground. He said that they agreed that Tangier was a great place and that it would still be around for hundreds of years to come. Now, when you hear your president tell you that about this community that you see is at crisis, but you hear the president telling you, it's okay, it's going to be around for centuries. Of course, that's going to make you feel good. Of course, that's going to give you something to grab onto. And in fact, it's taken him a long time, but they're finally going to um, have to break ground, in a sense, on the seawall that they've been desperately lobbying for for years. And most of it's going to be funded by the federal government. And so finally, they're going to get this seawall construction beginning this year. I had one lady. She was in the government. She said, don't use my name or anything. But she told me, she said, uh... Mayor, I believe if you went along with the climate change debate and uh, sea level rise, if you go along with it, I believe you probably would get help faster for your community. But I think he's sincere when he tells me that he just doesn't believe that this is a human-caused phenomenon. He thinks that this is the elements that have long endangered this community because of where it's precariously located and that they've overcome these hurdles in the past and they will continue addressing each of these problems as they pop up. 
But that flies in the face of what the Army Corps of Engineers says, that climate change is causing the sea level rise that is exacerbating this problem at four times the speed than it would be otherwise due to just pure erosion. And just to clarify to our listeners, the United States Army Corps of Engineers is a government construction management agency that oversees canals, dams, and flood protection in the country. So Heidi, what about relocation? Did the mayor of Tangier Island ever talk to you about that? You know, I asked him that. I asked him, looking at other communities that have moved, why haven't you guys thought of that too? Well, I think it's it, it, it boils down to they are so unique that only on this speck of land, they are culturally the way they are with their accents, uh, with their history. There's nowhere they can go to and preserve that without being, I guess, diluted with all the other urban developments that surround the Chesapeake Bay. So they've never considered it. So in contrast, you've been somewhere else, a community that's facing a similar challenge, but that is very far from Virginia. Tell us about what's happening in Newtalk, Alaska. So Newtalk is a native Alaskan village that is on the Alaskan tundra, very close to the Bering Sea. It is completely isolated. There is no way to get there except for bush plane. Or in the wintertime, I understand you can take a snowmobile there and <laughs> snowmobile for eight hours to get to the next closest village. And who are the Yupik people? They're native Alaskans whose ancestors have been in the region for more than 2,000 years. It's a population of about 350 they are a group that was migratory for most of their history, and only in recent decades were they forced to settle uh, in villages in the area, Newtalk being one of them. That happened because the federal government said that Native Alaskan children had to go to a school built by the federal government. So they built a school there in Newtalk. May not have been the best place because it's right like along the bend of a river that's probably prone to erosion, but apparently wasn't a consideration. So the school was built there and the people were forced to settle there as well. So when you land in, in uh, New Talk today, it's amazing. There's no roads. And my understanding is that only a few years ago, there used to be a place where you could step on solid land. And that's changed just in the recent last few years because of the thawing permafrost. These are villages that are literally melting. And this is why they're moving, literally moving their entire village. How did they come to that conclusion? It's amazing because the Newtalk Tribal Council realized they had to move in the 1990s. This is before climate change was on anyone else's radar. And they started planning for this. Um, and only now, after decades of planning, just this past October, is when the very first families did move to higher land. Where are they moving? They're going to a place that they have named Murtavik, which means getting water from the spring in the Yupik language. And they chose this place because it's not too far. It's a 25-minute boat ride. It is on a neighboring island that is on top of solid volcanic rock, not permafrost. The problem that the early planners of this move in Newtalk encountered is that there was no federal government program that was even written to envision 
the need in the future to relocate a whole village. There is no federal program that even designates climate change as a disaster. What about the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA? We always see them on the news when some disaster happens. FEMA funds require an event, some sort of disaster that just hit you, right? Well, climate change, as we know, is a slow-moving and predictable disaster, and the law is not written to address that. So, very ironically, New Talk doesn't qualify for FEMA disaster funding. As an aside, Tangiers Island also didn't qualify. So they've had to be very um, creative in finding funds through various other grants. Most of it is still coming from the government, but they've really had to like write around the rules in order to qualify for these programs. You must have heard and seen so much. What are those stories or anecdotes that people told you that really stuck with you? Well, I want to tell you about Albertina Charles. She is a school teacher who we met. Um, and in fact, we didn't realize it, but she was actually one of our roommates because there was no place for us to stay inside this tiny village except for their school. We were there just for those few nights while shooting the story. That was her home because her actual house, which was very nearby, is literally falling into the ocean. I'm going to miss this place. This is where I was born. This is where I grew up. And it used to be further down when we were young. And she had been homeless for quite a few weeks by the time that we showed up. Did you ever imagine seeing this land disappear so quickly? Mm, not really. How fast is it going? It seems like it's more than 30, 30 feet since last month. It's going fast now, really super fast. Soon the village is going to sink. There's no hope. And she is now actually living in the new village that they moved to. How long is it going to take them to move to the new village, Mertzevik? They're hoping to finish it by 2023. But with the funding they have, they've moved like 21 families this past October, which is hugely significant for them. They're getting a lot of outside help to manage with this transition. I was there at the community meeting that was happening like two days before the first day of the move. So one of the elders spoke and said, we're only doing this as one. That is our bottom line. We're moving, but we're staying together. And there were murmurs of agreement from all around. <laughs> they understand that, yes, their geographic location may be shifting, but as long as they end up all together, they can weather this temporary transitionary period that their identities will still be intact, even if they're in a diff different spot. Do they believe in climate change? Yeah, for the people of New Talk, you ask, well, do you think this is climate change? You just get this dumbfounded silence and it's, yes, you're here, right? You see it with your own eyes, just like we do. They live it every single day. The children who have been born there in the last few years, they don't even know what it's like to run on solid land. I mean, they're, they're in these rain boots up to their knees, and they splash around on this mud. But they literally don't, don't know what it's like to walk on solid land. Ooh. 
So when it comes to the cost of solutions for both communities, the numbers are very different. But this also has to do with the fact that one community, New Talk, needs to move entirely to a different place. And the estimated cost of that move is $130 million. Meanwhile, Tangier Island is only looking to build jetties and seawalls to protect from erosion. The construction of one jetty, for example, is around $3,162,000. And that's according to a project designed by the Army Corps of Engineers. So, Heidi, why do you think that these two communities are going through something very similar, but reacting completely different? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think that um, part of it is necessity. In New Talk, there are no Band-Aid solutions that are even possible. You either get out of there or your land's going to disappear, you know? It's not a, there is no seawall that's going to help them. They know they got to do this. And again, going back to their identity as a people, I feel like they look to each other and they know as long as they stick together, they can relocate, build anew, and still be the same people. Now compare that to Tangier, where I feel like their history is very much tied to their geographic location. The fact that they're this tiny speck with their own, you know, way of speaking, their own lifestyle and the history, they really have nowhere to run to. I wonder if they did, would they have considered it? You know, maybe they would. But then they also have this history of being able to count on these temporary solutions to get them through the next few years. I think it's easy for the academic and scientific community to, like, look down your noses and say, oh, well, these people aren't looking at the evidence that's obviously out there. Um, It's not that. It's a different way of thinking. So those older generations see it as, well, you know, our ancestors built seawalls in the past. Hey, we're still here. So what about what's going on now is any different? And uh, from that perspective, I, I think that it's it's understandable why they may feel that. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, Dina Kispe, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Bushier is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Heidi Jo Castro, Anar Virji, and Kira Raquel. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to aljazeera.com slash the take. You can find subscribe links there and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find us at AJ the Take.